Welcome to People's Church Podcast. Where do you find God? You know, you think back on your life, where did you find God? Maybe more appropriately, where did he find you? But I think he's always known where you're at. I want you to place yourself into a boat in the middle of a lake. Some of you, that's not going to be hard to do because that's your most passionate place to be. And you're in the middle of the lake, and it's a lake you know, and you know it very well. You probably visited it already this summer if you're a lake person. You probably sat on the beach. You probably got in a boat. You might have done some skiing. You might have done some fishing. Now put yourself out in that very same boat. And one of the most horrendous storms that you've ever seen comes out of the mountains or the hills and strikes that body of water. It hits it it with such ferociousness that you just know there's something unique and different about this storm. It's getting so bad that the boat that you're in, the waves are coming over the back of the boat, the front of the boat, every which way you turn the boat. All of us know if you're boaters, you want to keep your nose, your bow into the wave as best you can. I was in a situation like that once. I don't know if you've been in some situations where it just seems like everything's going to overwhelm you, fill your boat and everything's going to sink. Maybe you're there right now. Maybe you're in that right now. Maybe you're in that financially. Maybe you're in that relationally. Maybe you're in that faith-wise, obedience-wise. You just feel like it's, it's filling and you can't bail fast enough. You can't get the water out fast enough. You know, that ice cream bucket ain't cutting it. Jesus took the disciples through such a storm. Now, the disciples were an interesting crew. They experienced Jesus as both a public teacher and a private tutor. He had taught them well. He had demonstrated his power. He had demonstrated his ability to heal sick, cast out demons, do have governance over all nature. He had done a lot to demonstrate who he was to them. We were just singing a song like that, It Is Well With My Soul, and then Waymaker, the one that we just sang before the special. I found myself with tears just running down my cheeks because I was remembering times that the Lord himself delivered me, walked with me. These guys had an inside track on him. This storm tested their faith. We're going to read about it in just a moment. And after their faith had been tested, there was very little left of it. It had seemed great on the front end. They went into the test seemingly loaded up with faith. I mean, they had seen thousands fed with just a meager lunch. They had experienced the healing of demoniacs, people with physical ailments. They had seen the lame walk, the blind see. This test took them to a place where after that test, they came out of it. There wasn't too much faith there. You 
You know the funny thing about this storm? They were there in the obedience to Jesus. It's not like they were in disobedience. It's not like they were running from him. They had found him and he had found them and they had been called as his disciples and they were genuinely, full-heartedly following him. And in the midst of followership, they have this huge storm and test. How can storms be so fierce? How can they be so incredibly strong if Jesus is in my boat? How can it be? I mean, if Jesus is in my boat, does that not mean that, you know, I mean, all storms have a real big limit well within the safe zone, you know? I've heard people say, man, I, my business has been way tougher since I really surrendered my life to Jesus. When I, run, when I want to run it the way that it should be run as a Christian, Things didn't get easier. Sometimes I think we forget the Lord's other words where he promises this. That he chastens every son and daughter because he loves them. Oftentimes you and I, we think, we think trials just mean anger. Somehow God is demonstrating his anger. He must be angry with something about me. It must be some sin, some hidden attitude, some chronic issue with me. It, it must be what I know I did yesterday. It must be that from long ago, you know. It's got to be anger. But maybe it is love. In fact, I would bet on that one. The trial that you're going through is not because of God's anger, Christian. It's because of God's love. You may not even have faith in Jesus right now, but you're going through a trial. Do you know that trial's meant to show you how much you need him, that you need God, you need Christ? That is a gift of love. To empty you of some prides that might be in the way between you and God. Sometimes with us, we don't understand these tests and these trials. I've entitled this one, Faith's Foundation. The foundation of faith is found in the faith that you put in the presence, the purpose, and the reward of God. Let's now read the story, Mark 4, 35 to 41. And it says this, as evening came... Jesus said to his disciples, knowing full well that a storm of unimaginary fierceness is about to hit this lake. Let's cross to the other side of the lake. You want to follow Jesus in obedience? I promise you this. It is not going to be a calm lake all the way across to the other side of what he's called you to. It's going to have in it 
storms that will come that place you into positions where your faith, your faith will be tested. So they took Jesus in the boat and started out, leaving the crowds behind, although other boats followed. That's interesting. They weren't alone in the middle of this thing. There was other boats that followed because they knew Jesus was in this boat and going to the other side. And they didn't want to miss a moment with him. These were passionate people of faith. These were people that wanted to make sure they didn't miss out anything of what Jesus would be bringing. But soon a fierce storm came up. High waves were breaking into the boat and it began to fill with water. When Jesus woke up, well, missed one here, Jesus was sleeping, sleeping. The boat's filling with water. Seasoned fishermen are panicking. He was sleeping in the, at the back of the boat with his head on a cushion, probably a little soggy. The disciples woke him up shouting, teacher, look at these words, don't you care? Why did Jesus come? That we're going to drown. When Jesus woke up, he rebuked the wind and said to the waves, silence. Be still. Suddenly the wind stopped and there was a great calm. Then he asked them, why are you afraid? Do you still have no faith? The disciples were absolutely terrified. Hold it, this is after the calm. Who is this man? They asked each other. Even the wind and waves obey him. Two questions he asked them. Why are you so fearful? Why are you afraid? Why are you so filled with fear? And he asked them also, how is it that you have no faith? How is it that you're in a place where faith isn't there? You see, their fears that they had during that storm and what they would have considered a completely out of control situation and the rational mind would totally agree. Anybody watching from shore with, and observing what was going on would think it's absolutely rational to be terrified out there. I mean, really afraid. Have you ever been there in a place like that where you know, man, there's high risk and you don't have a lot of control over the situation and you can't really do much to seem to alter the course or change the clouds or change the wind or change the size of the waves? I can imagine at that point in time, if it was me and I was in the middle of the lake, I, I, I'd be thinking things like, I knew I should have bought the bigger boat. See, their fears were making them so unlike Jesus. So unlike Jesus. 
Jesus is asleep. His head's on a cushion. He's had a very, if you read previous, he's had a very busy miracle working teaching day. Pretty much every day went like that for Jesus. He would be hounded by lots of crowds, and lots of people with needs. And it would never really be a stop to the line of ministry for Jesus, you see. See, Jesus, Jesus was not surprised that they would be fearful in a very fierce storm like this. He was not surprised that they would have fear or be afraid or that he wasn't surprised at that. He was sorry they were so fearful as to act like they had no faith because the only thing you can battle fear with is faith. That's what he's reprimanding them for. It, it, this moment in time showed how different they were from Jesus. Yet he had been instructing them publicly, private tutorship, explaining parables, giving them greater insights. But still it had not somehow anchored itself within producing a kind of faith that would pass this kind of test. Their fears also made them so unlike themselves. These were seasoned fishermen, some of them. These were men, these were men. Their fears unmanned them. They became like frightened children. Master, don't you care that we are going to perish here? The things that we face, if we face them without faith, if our faith does not rise to the occasion to meet our fears, it will turn us into children in the wrong way. Not children of faith, but children of fear. Their fears also made them very unhappy. They weren't singing. They weren't shouting anything lighthearted or, or anything on the fun side of life. They thought they were about to perish. When you think about that, when you, if you've ever come to that experience where you thought, this is it. It's not a happy moment. The fear of their own death robbed them of happiness. I'll talk about that in a bit. You see, in essence, in their lives, their fears were causing them far more pain than death itself could have cost them. There's an old saying goes something like this, we feel 1,000 deaths in fear, in fear of one. You, 
you can be afraid of death and it can be the kind of thing that you're going to, it's going to paralyze you in different ways. It's going to cause you not to have the kind of happiness or joy in life because all you can fear is the end of life when actually the fear becomes worse than the thing itself. How hard the mighty can fall. We bring much pain to ourselves, folks, by needless fears. And then we miss the joy that just having a restful kind of faith brings to life. Their fears also made them unkind. Jesus had had one of those days that said he was extremely exhausted and he's sleeping. That didn't really matter to them at the moment. They woke him up real fast, as quickly as they could, and with the cries of their fear. You know, we, we, we won't express tenderness when we are in fear for ourselves. We won't express tenderness to others. When we have fears for ourselves and fear has gripped our life, it's taking you out of tenderness for others. Many of the reasons that people can't be tender in relationships is because they're afraid, they're insecure. Fear never makes you tender. It makes you demanding. It makes you protective. It makes you retreat. It never makes you advance. Sometimes I think with unkind words when it gets spoken to us, but maybe even in self-evaluation when we're the ones speaking them, but certainly when we have them spoken to us, we need to see them as symptoms of a deeper disease, of a disease. These are just the symptoms. For which the best medicine is not your bitterness. See people a little bit differently. Seek to understand a little bit the fears that they are living with and that are deeply embedded and controlling, not to justify their fear, but to understand the unkindness. Often we only offer back bitterness. That's why fear in relationships often produces bitterness. In fact, the number one reason that there is bitterness in any kind of relationship is simply because of fears. I feared the rejection. I needed their approval. We offer back bitterness. Their unbelief also really grieved the Lord. It grieved the Lord Jesus because it was most unreasonable. It wasn't a reasonable fear. It wasn't a logical response. 
How could they think that he would let them sink? With the ship holding the deity, this little boat, this boat, whatever, however large it was, holding the deity, how could they actually fall into this, that this is going to go down and, it, and he's brought them there to let them drown? See, faith ends up, when it really works in our life, being a pure reason. Just of the reason, of the mind, of the logic. If there is a God, then certainly he is sovereign. If there's a God of love, then certainly the cross makes sense. If there's a God of, of holiness, then certainly the need of the cross makes sense and my need of confession and repentance. If there is a God who is a shepherd, then certainly, and he's with us, his presence is there. If he says he's there, he's there. You may not feel it. He's there. It's just pure reason. Once you have the basic commodity of saying, I know who Jesus is. We sang that just now. Do you know who Jesus is? You don't want to deny your own beliefs. Because that is irrational to do so. They believed Jesus was on a divine mission. They believed this. That should have kept them hopeful, even in the worst moment of any storm. But that was gone. Their minds were not working. The only thing working was a fear that took them into a panic, which took them into a test and a failing and a test of faith. They have also seen Jesus in their own experience do things for them. They have watched him do miracles. Also miracles for them. They had a bunch of proofs. Ask yourself this question, really has the Lord ever really failed me? To mistrust the deity in your boat when you believe he is the deity is irrational. To have a belief that he is the Lord and he's in your boat, that he is God in the flesh, that he is the son of the living God, that he has come to you and he's in your boat. Taking you on tests for, so that purpose can unfold in your life. It's irrational to mistrust that. Because you believe that. It is contrary to all the experience of our hearts. What we have experienced in our own hearts. The touch and the voice of God in those, in those micro little uh, exchanges that we have, sometimes many times a day, and, and, and sometimes those very special moments that are a part of many of our histories in walking with God, and certainly with these disciples to have mistrust all of that little private tutorship and all of those insights and the, the obvious demonstration of divine deity. 
They had observed it with their eyes. They had observed it with their hearts. It also made no sense. Would so kind of a deity, so kind of a leader, take them to sea to drown them? Is it reasonable to believe that the king of heaven was about to be, brought, be drowned? Our fears are often intensely foolish. Very foolish. They have lost the connection to some very key things. See, their unbelief sprang from a very low view of the Lord Jesus. They actually asked this question. What manner of man is this? Well, obviously a man that can take loaves and fishes and feed thousands. Obviously a man that can walk on water. Obviously a man that can actually even raise the dead. Actually, he can heal the blind. He can give the, vo the mute back their voice. He can open the deaf ears. He can, he did, he demonstrated all. He, he can take care of any kind of demonic activity that he wishes to exercise his authority over. He's obviously far more than just a man. What manner of man? They had a very low view of Jesus. Careful with this, Christian. Be careful with this. In the song Waymaker, we sang about he's the miracle worker. It's a great song. It lists out some things that are just deity-oriented. This is who he is. This is who he is. This is who he is. But you say the rational thing. I mean, you're in a boat that sinks, but you're there, guys, with he who made everything. We're going to be spending on the next few Sundays talking about some of the valleys that are identified in the, in the Bible. One of them is the valley of the shadow of death. That is what uh, was quoted earlier by uh, Brenda as she was leading. The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. He maketh me lie down in green pastures. He leadeth me beside still waters. He restoreth my soul. He, they, quoting that, and then it goes into this valley of the shadow of death. There's many kinds of death in life. Relationships die. We, we kill them. Ec economics dies. Everything actually has a death sentence on it. And if you want to live it out that way, it can be very well lived out that way. But your faith was meant to be something that no matter whether it was through the storm or over the storm or around the storm, it was a Jesus-led experience in your life. If you get to the end of your life and you can look back and say, wow, we had some tough moments, but you know, we did trust Jesus. We did. Oh, we weren't perfect in that trust, but we trusted him. Then you really have a great testimony. Because I can look at times in my life where I, I would say at this point, looking back, oh, I wish I trusted you more. Man, I think I woke you up in the boat. I was unkind to you. 
I say, Jesus, aren't you caring here? Don't have a low view of Jesus. Grow in your knowledge of who he is. Their unbelief was also making them unfit for their future lives. Their unbelief in that moment didn't fit the plan and the purpose that God had for them. This would never do. So they must be tested with this kind of storm. They must be shown how little faith they are. And we really don't know the greatness of faith or how little faith we have until it goes through these kinds of tests where there is so much uncontrolled, uh, rational results all around us that we just are overcome by. Either the rational that is based on the deity in the boat or the rational of a boat filling with water will have two different outcomes. Their unbelief really didn't fit their future. These were the apostles. They're going to end up guiding the church through persecution, blood, error, and spiritual attacks all around the world. Their lives would be in peril. Their families' lives would be in peril. They wouldn't sometimes know where the next meal was going to come from, but they would keep going. They must be a product of the kind of faith that can take on these worldly trials like storms. I mean, if you can't handle the worldly trials, how can you handle the spiritual darkness tests? Because we don't wrestle against flesh and blood. How will you ever survive that? Jesus was testing them to show them, you're not ready for your future. You have a very low opinion of who really I am. Your faith is something that is not reasonable. Your faith has made, the, you, you, is, lacks kindness because your fear is rule. You're, you lack happiness and joy. You, how are you going to ever survive dungeons and beatings? And how are you going to do that? How are you going to do that? How are you going to do that if... If you're going to be unmanned all the time. Rather than pick up being a man that's got the strength of faith in God. How are you going to lead your family? When they test you and push you and they don't agree with you and things happen or losses happen. How are you going to make it? How are you going to make it when you are so unlike me? When I position myself in a place of rest in the middle of these tests. And you position yourself in a state of fear. So what did they need to remember? As we go through some valleys in the next weeks. 
We'll be taking a look at valleys of conflict. We'll be look at grief. That's lost too. How do you respond? Like, how do you get through that valley? We'll take a look at the valley of failure. Did you know all these valleys? They have names I'm not giving you today, but they're in the Bible. And the valley of fear. And for every one of them, these three things are required for faith that will pass these tests. First, presence. The Lord is my shepherd. <laughs> He's with me. He's not sitting back watching. He's literally involved in the leadership of my life. He's coaching me. He is directing me. He's giving me strategies and wisdom. Oh, how he wants to give us wisdom. In fact, he's given us a whole book of it. And then he says, I want the Holy Spirit, you to have a heart that the Holy Spirit can take my wisdom and you can make the choices and follow the directions of life that I have for you. Because that will lead you to the second thing, that he has a purpose for this valley. Let's read some scriptures. First, I'm not alone. Yea, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death. Notice it says shadow. Okay, if, you're, if you have a close call on the bypass and you're crossing on some crosswalk, which, keep your eyes open, folks. And there's a truck that almost hits you, but it didn't hit you, but the shadow hit you. It's a little different than the real truck hitting you. Would you agree with that? The shadow hit you. I, I think the outcome's way different than the truck hitting you. If the actual truck hits you, well... You're gone on to glory. But you're going to have a lot of things in life where the shadow hits you. The shadow that you think, that truck's taking out our relationship. That truck's taking out our kid. That truck's taking out my mom or my dad. That truck's taking out, you know, my career, my opportunities. That truck's taking out my freedom. My, that truck is taking, it's a shadow. All of it is shadows until the real deal arrives. And if you want to live fearing shadows, then you have lost the sense of his presence because he said, I will be with you. I will be with you. Through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil, he's saying, for you are with me. I'm not going to fear evil. I'm not going to not cross the road. I'm not going to not take risk. I'm not going to just buy into the negatives and turn some negatives into a whole fear strategy of life of how to protect myself in a relationship. I'm not buying into that. That's a shadow. For you are with me. Your rod and your staff. This was how he, uh, shepherd controls the flock. More or less, you're in control. That you're in control, you're sovereign. That comforts me. That just comforts me. Because I don't have to be trying to dodge the shadows of life because there's lots of shadows in life. You're going to have shadows come all the time. If you live in response of fear to the shadows of life, you are ignoring the great doctrine of God's sovereignty, which is so comforting. They comfort me. 
God is in control, folks. Isaiah 43, 2, when you go through deep waters and great trouble, I will be with you. When you go through rivers of difficulty, you will not drown. When you walk through the fire of oppression, you will not be burned up. The flames will not consume you. But Jesus probably said it best in such an easy summation when he said, I will be with you till the end of the world. If you live in shadows, you'll never walk in God's purpose. If you walk in God's presence, you won't walk in shadows. If you trust the deity in your boat, no matter what the waves are, that deity's and his sovereignty and that it's all under control can bring you great comfort. And that comfort can lead you to a peace that says, I'm ready for purpose. I want risk. I want to do some things. I want a responsive life to the glory of God. Romans 5, 3 to 5 says, not only that, but we rejoice in our sufferings, knowing that suffering produces endurance. More or less, it has purpose. And endurance produces character, and character produces hope. And hope does not put us to shame, because God's love has been poured into our hearts through the Holy Spirit, who has been given to us. More or less, we get really confident about God's love. He's with us. We don't question, don't you care? Wake up! Hosea 2.15, I will return her vineyards to her and transform the valley of trouble into a gateway of hope. <laughs> Is that good? And if you are willing to trust the presence, the deity in your life, in every given situation, that he is in control. And then you can move into a purpose, knowing that God is going to produce some pretty great things in your life. And yeah, all the things you go through is just going to get transformed into gateways of hope, not just for you, but for others. These were gateways meant to state for others. Your family. Friends. And even your enemies. Then you can move into the third thing, which is eternal glory, greater than anything we can imagine. 2 Corinthians 4, 17, for our present troubles are quite small. <laughs> Paul wrote this. Yeah, just been shipwrecked three times. Beaten on many occasions. Absolutely suffered in the deepest, darkest parts of prisons all around the Mediterranean. Was at risk of robbers and thieves constantly on his trails. Had desertions, the pain of people less committed and prepared for that kind of faith journey. And he says, for our present troubles are quite small. And they won't last very long. Yet they are producing in us an eternal glory that will last forever and is greater than anything we can imagine.
Presence, trust it. Purpose, go at it. Eternal glory, it's the only way that you will share this and have those kinds of rewards. Second Corinthians 4, 17, our suffering is light and temporary, producing an eternal glory that's greater than anything we can imagine. What can you imagine? Well, I imagine a retirement that's pretty safe and secure. That's it. Seriously. Well, I, 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 imagine, I imagine that, you know, I'm going to keep my health pretty good right through my years to come. That's it. I wonder what eternal glory is waiting at the end of a journey offered you. One filled with his presence, filled with his purpose. Ending in eternal glory that you share. That only he can bring to you. You can't even imagine. The story that we've covered today. Ends up with the disciples more terrified than when they were in the storm. It says the disciples in 41, he's already calmed the storm. Waves are, wind is stopped, waves are, waves are stopped. We have a calm. We're in a calm. The disciples were absolutely terrified. Who is this man? They asked each other. Even the wind and waves obey him. Why were they so terrified? Wouldn't that have been the moment you would think that would be, oh, am I ever glad I woke him up? I think that was the moment they were sad they did wake him up. I think that was the moment that finally they started to really internalize who's in this boat. This is not a little God, it's not some other God, this is God. They were terrified now at his presence and who he was, but it was needful in them because what was lacking in their life was the appropriate fear. They had bundles of the other. But there was only crumbs of the fear of God. Who's in your boat? Do you know who's in your boat? Jesus, thank you for this. In your hearts, just before God, if you don't have a faith in Jesus yet, here's a quick little prayer for you, but I really am wanting Christians to respond today too. 
If you haven't received Christ, open your heart now and just welcome into your boat and say, Jesus, forgive me for living a fear-driven life, a self-centered driven life, a life that has no eternal glory attached to it. Forgive me for each sin that's a part of living that way, past, present, and future. I welcome you as my savior from my sins into my life. And I accept you as my Lord and my King. And that you are giving me eternal life through yourself. So I surrender my life to you. Most of us have walked with Christ probably for some time. And our prayer is something like this. I cannot believe that when I go through trials, my faith still shows up like just, like it's not there. It seems big going into these storms, God, but I'm a runner. I'm a hider. I'm a fighter back at you. Forgive me for that. I surrender afresh to living a life recognizing that you're sitting right in my boat and I'm acting in total unbelief. So I refresh my commitment to you as my Lord and my Savior, but I really refresh my need of your presence and I recognize it today. I surrender all of the burdens, the fights, the storms, the valleys to your presence. I know you'll bring purpose and meaning out of them, but I need to surrender them to your presence. I, this morning, am once again declaring you as my Lord and my God in my life, in my boat, in every part of my life. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. Thanks for listening. If you find this program helpful or would like to learn more, please give us a call 780-539-0572 or email mail at peopleschurchgp.com.